the history of mankind is riddled with war. It is filled with fighting, overflowing with contention. We war against many things, sickness, each other. On June 4th of 1940, Winston Churchill gave a speech that is commonly called, We Shall Fight on the Beaches. In this speech, Churchill described what had happened at Dunkirk and gave warning of a possible Nazi invasion. I'm going to read to you the last portion of this famous speech. Churchill said, We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. And even if, which I do not for a moment believe, this island or a large part of it was, were subjugated and starving, then our empire beyond the seas, armed and guarded by the British fleet, would carry on the struggle until, in God's good time, the new world, with all its power and might, steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of the old. We are a people who have warred with each other for all of history. And although these wars that fight, we've, we fought against evil, and World War II was a serious war against a serious evil, there is a greater war and a greater evil in the world that all other wars are but a shadow. There is a fight that has eternal implications, eternal consequences. As we read scripture, we see that this great war is not with flesh and blood. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 states, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's a spiritual war happening as we speak. And this war is against the spiritual forces of evil. And we find ourselves in the midst of this battle. What are we to do? We have a call. We have a responsibility to contend for the faith. Turn with me to the book of Jude. It is a small book of the Bible, only 25 verses, but packed with the truth of God's word. Let's read through the book of Jude, and we'll focus the remainder of our time on the first four verses. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. 
and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet, in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who reveals yourself to us, that you speak to us through your word. We thank you so much uh, that we have your word. We ask that uh, as we go through this time, uh, that you would open our eyes, that you would open our ears to uh, the truth that you have for us in your word. I pray this in your name. Amen. Jude begins his letter introducing himself. Jude is the brother of James and half-brother to Christ. Jesus' brothers didn't always believe in him. They did not always believe that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, John 7, verses 1 through 5 says this, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of the booze was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, 
that your disciples also may see the works you are doing, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. And yet, we see in this letter that when Jude introduces himself, he first identifies himself as the servant of Jesus. Saying that he is a servant of Jesus Christ is the first thing, that's, that's the first thing he says about himself. What an amazing turnaround. This is what the gospel is able to do. This is the work of God. Jesus changes our identity and takes first priority over anything else. Now, I don't know how many of you have brothers. Uh, I have an older brother. His name's Josh. And when I introduce myself to people, I don't introduce them myself to them saying, Hey, my name's Ben. I'm the servant of Josh. That's not what I say. Uh, I don't say that he's my master and Lord. Okay? Uh, the fact that one of Jesus' own brothers worships and serves Jesus as God, as master and Lord, identifies himself as servant, for me, that is one of the evidences of the deity of Christ. That this is real. Uh, that wouldn't happen between two normal men. Jude is writing to fellow believers. He says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And his desire was to write about the common salvation that they share. But he finds it necessary, urgent, and even required to write an appeal to them to defend the faith because there are people who have crept into the church who are perverting the message of the gospel. We must not let the message of the gospel be perverted. We must contend for the faith. Mankind will always and is always contending for something. We are contenders. That's what we do. In our sinful waywardness, we naturally are inclined to contend for someone or something other than the faith. Let us contend for the faith rather than for ourselves. As we contend for the, for the faith, let us remember who God is. Our God is loving. Jude says that to the people he's writing to, beloved in God the Father. It is possible to be beloved by God the Father. Our God is a God of love. Our God is a God who in his love in his mercy and in his grace, sent his son Jesus Christ to die the death we fully deserved. 1 John 4.10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In Romans 5.8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In the midst of trial and tribulation, a common response is to question the character of God. A common response is to question even the love of God. My friends, look to the cross. At the cross, we see the evidence of God's love. For Christ died for our sins. It is in the character of God to give and express love, and this is the best gift in the whole world. 
Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise. Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Those who have repented of their sin and believe in Jesus are beloved to God the Father. For those who have not yet repented and believed in Jesus, God sent his son Jesus in his love in order that you may repent and believe. And in this we rejoice that our God is loving. Our God also keeps. Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, Jude says. Have any of you ever had somebody keep something for you and they end up misplacing it? Uh, Or have you ever misplaced something for someone else? We have uh, some remotes for our TV and DVD player and they continually uh, are misplaced and we cannot keep them uh, for whatever reason. They're, they're, They're missing We can be forgetful. We can be people who lose valuable things. Our God keeps us for Christ. Our God does not lose anybody. We won't fall out of his hands like sand sifting between your fingers. God has a tight and secure hold on all those who are his. Being kept by God is not dependent upon us, but on God. John 6, 39 And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. 1 Peter 1, 3-4 Blessed be be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfaithful and unfading, kept in heaven for you. God is faithful to keep his promises. Our God does not lie, but is trustworthy. And those who are his, he keeps. There is no need to fear that God would lose any of those who are his, because he will not lose any who are his. Our God keeps. Our God is master and Lord. We see in verse 4 of Jude that those who have crept in have denied that Jesus Christ is Master and Lord. Here's the truth. Let's state it clearly and emphatically. Jesus is Master and Lord. Jesus is Master and Lord. Their denial of Jesus as Master and Lord plays out in how they live their lives. They do not live obediently, but all kinds, uh, but in all kinds of sensual sin, Christ is Lord and has always been Lord over all. Luke two eleven. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Philippians two nine. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is master and Lord over our lives. He is the one who created all things. 
He is the one who is in total sovereign control. He is the one who is in authority. He is the one who knows what is best. He is the one who has told us what is good and what is evil. He is the one who is worthy of our obedience. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In Revelation 17.14, They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. Make no mistake, Jesus, our God, is Master and Lord. Now, as we contend for the faith and remember who God is, this also informs us and reminds us of who we are. And so as we contend for the faith, let us also remember who we are in light of God. We are called for Christ. Jude says, to those who are called, those who believe in Jesus have been called by God. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. 2 Timothy 1.8 Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the, the ages began, and which now has, manifested, has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Isn't it a mighty blessing to be called by God? And to know that this has nothing to do with us? We don't get to look around and say, Hey, look, how great I am. God called me. No. We're called not because of our greatness and goodness, but because God is great, and because God is good. And he has called us for his own purpose. We are called. We are also beloved. We already talked about how our God is a God of love. God being loving means that there are recipients to his love. And we are recipients of that love. We are recipients of that affection. The love of Christ is made evident in the cross. His sacrificial giving of himself for the church. Ephesians 5.25 Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ gave himself up in order that the church would be sanctified, washed clean by his word, and that the church would be presented to himself in splendor, without any blemish. This is how much God loves, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us in order to present us to himself as pure and holy. Now, why why is it that God loves us? We get some insight into God's love for his people in Deuteronomy chapter 7. 
starting in verse 6. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you out out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God is saying, I love you because I love you. God loves his people because he loves his people. And this is really the best kind of love. God's love towards us is based upon his character, not ours. God's love towards us is based upon his actions, not ours. If God's love was based upon us, that would be bad news. But God chose to love us while we were in open rebellion to him. We are beloved by God. And we are kept for Christ. Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. First Thess- Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Being kept by God and for God is a work of God, not a work of you. What a great blessing. The God of peace himself will sanctify, making our whole spirit and soul and body blameless. He will surely do it. Being kept by God does not rest upon you. Being kept by God is a work of God, and God completes his work that he starts. Philippians 1.6, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God finishes what he starts. We are kept by Christ and for Christ. And we are servants of Christ. Jesus Christ is king. He is Lord. He is master. And we have been called by Christ through his love to live our lives in direct obedience to him. Here lies the battle that we wage. Who or what is the king of your life? Who or what is the king of your life? This will define who you are. Who you serve defines you. Jude, as he introduces himself to his readers, defines himself by the one who he serves. Jesus. When it comes to our identity... Who we serve is of highest importance. And a servant is someone who listens to and does the bidding of their master. And servants of Christ are who we are called to be. Christ has set us free from the bondage of sin so that we are no longer slaves and servants to the sin in our life. We no longer need to listen to and obey sin. But by God's grace, he has given us the power to resist temptation and live for Christ. In obedience to God, we have been set free. So now, we are no longer defined by our sin, but we are defined by our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have a God who is loving, who keeps his people, and is master and Lord. 
And his call on us is to contend for the faith because there were false teachers who have crept in. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. As servants of Jesus Christ, made by Christ, made for Christ, and bought with the blood of Christ, we contend. We contend by walking in obedience. These people who Jude warns about are ungodly people. They are perverting the grace of God into sensuality. These are people who view God's grace as a license to sin. Their thinking would be like this. Well, I can live my life however I want because I know that God's going to forgive me for whatever I do. A person who is living their life like this is walking in darkness. God's grace is not a reason to sin. God's grace is power to live our life resisting sin. God's grace is not to be used to sin. God's grace is to be used to resist sin. Paul puts it this way in Romans 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know... Do you not know that all of us who, were, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The grace of God is not an excuse to live in sin, but on the contrary, the grace of God gives us the ability to walk in newness of life to walk free from the bondage of sin. We also contend by walking in affirmation of who Jesus is. Walking in the affirmation of who Jesus is means that we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Master, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the Almighty God who is worthy of our adoration, worthy of all praise, worthy of all glory, and worthy of all worship. But professing to know God is not all. Titus 1.15 says, To the pure all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. The way we can affirm Christ is not only through our mouths, but also with how we live our lives. There are those who profess Christ, but they deny Christ by their works. Walk in the affirmation of Christ by how you live, by not using the grace of God as a license to sin. Lastly, as we contend, we are people who walk in submission to Jesus. Walk in submission to Jesus. God is loving. He keeps all who are his, and he is master and Lord. And so we are people who are loved. We are people who are called. We are people who are kept. Let us also be people who submit to the authority of God. These false teachers that have crept into the church are people who do not submit to the authority of Christ. They are living for a different authority. They are living for themselves. 
A life that is lived for yourself is a life that will, that will result in death. A life that by God's a life that is lived for yourself is a life that will result in death. A life that by God's grace and his working is lived under authority of God is a life that will result in eternal life. A life that by God's grace and his working is lived under the authority of God is a life that will result in, etern- in eternal life. We live in submission to Christ. We live in submission to Christ when we confess our sin, repent of our sin, and walk in obedience to Christ. This is what submission looks like. It looks to an authority outside of yourself and obeys it. God is a God who is worthy of this obedience. He is good and loving. He grants forgiveness. Let us be people who live in submission to God. This is a unique time in life. There is a global pandemic. There is a global fear and panic. We are unable to meet together because we are listening to our governing authorities on how to slow the spread of this disease. This is a distinctive time of contending. As we are separated from each other, we still have a command to contend for the faith. I must plead with you, contend for the faith in your own heart today. Do not allow this circumstance to pull you away from the faith. Contend for the faith in your own life. This is a time when the foundation of people's lives are being ripped out from underneath them. The economy has plummeted. Uh, Many people are out of work and businesses are struggling. We are seeing that our health is at risk. Although our jobs and the economy and, and health and a variety of other things are important, they're not eternal. They do not hold up. We cannot build our lives on top of those things. Nothing in the world can fail you if you don't trust in anything in the world to satisfy you or bring you hope. Nothing in the world can fail you if you don't trust in anything in the world to satisfy you or bring you hope. Jesus is the one who satisfies. Jesus is the one in whom we have hope. It is Jesus who is trustworthy. So we contend for the faith. We are contenders. We will all contend for something. And I pray that we would, be a pe- we would be a people who contend for the faith rather than contending for ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a, a good God, that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who keeps us, that you are a God who is master and Lord. And Lord, we look to you And we are looking to you for grace. We are looking to you for mercy. We need your, your help to live our lives in submission to you. And we ask that by your grace, by your power, that we would contend for the faith. That we would be a church, a a community of people who contend for the faith, and in so doing, that we would be a light to the people around us, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up and glorified.
And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.